Thank you. Um, so I think as we probably all know now, uh, the referendum this past June is not the first time that a British government has asked the public to decide the fate of Britain's relationship with the European integration project. In 1975, Harold Wilson's government also held a national poll on the question of whether or not Britain should remain in what was then called the European community or common market. That referendum confirmed British membership of the European community, with 67% of the public voting in favour of remaining in. Every single region of the United Kingdom voted in favour of remaining, with the exception of the Western Isles and Shetland. Approximately 65% of the electorate turned out to vote, a fairly high number um, by our standards today. Many of the issues debated this past year and in 1975 overlap. Employment, the economy, contributions to the European budget, the availability and viability of alternatives to membership, and of course the issue of sovereignty are all amongst the repeated themes. Yet in 1975, food prices and the cost of living more generally were prominent issues dominating the debate. Um, I think there are, there are a few reasons um, why food prices were so central to the discussion. Uh, the first um, is that food prices and the impact of the Common Agricultural Policy, or CAP, uh, are deeply embedded in the debate about Britain's relationship with European integration. Over the course of the 1960s, the CAP became central to the community's development, and it also became the largest item on the community budget. Agreement uh, to a permanent system of financing the CAP was reached in December 1969 and was a great victory for the community, especially the French. However, Britain was excluded from the negotiations, and when Ted Heath's government negotiated Britain's entry terms in 1971, it was presented with a package that had to be accepted rather than a policy that could be negotiated. Without full acceptance of the common agricultural policy, it's unlikely that French President Georges Pompidou would have lifted Charles de Gaulle's two previous vetoes on Britain's applications in 1961 and in 1967. Thus, the Heath government reluctantly accepted the common agricultural policy despite two major problems. One, the knowledge that the UK would not derive much benefit from the policy, and two, concerns that it would have the effect of increasing Britain's uh, Britain's food prices and contributions to the community budget, so much so that it would make Britain a net contributor. The February 1970 white paper on entry to the community estimated that the cap would result in an increase of between 18 and 26 percent to retail food prices by the end of the time frame in which the community's rules and regulations were phased in. Had the costs deriving from agriculture been removed from the equation, the economic case for membership could easily have rested on the argument that the common market represented the most advantageous trade network for Britain to become involved with, and that this would help to optimize British economic performance in the long term. However, faced with the balance of payments and food price consequences of the cap, the prospect uh, for the 1970s threatened to be detrimental. By mid-1973, Treasury estimate estimates indicated that by 1978, the first year in which Britain would no longer be in transition, that the UK would be making a net contribution of £332 million per year. The bulk of these contributions were the result of the cap. But the decision to accept that policy had been based on the belief that Britain could reform the policy from within the community. 
Unfortunately for Ted Heath's government, the economic crisis, um, specifically the currency crisis of early 1973, made the kind of reforms it sought completely unattainable. As a result of this situation and previous commitments to reforming the community's approach to agriculture, major changes to the cap were one of the renegotiation objectives outlined in Harold, Wilson, um, Harold Wilson's Labour Party manifesto, um, the 1974 manifesto on which he was elected in February. Changes to the cap and to the budget were very much intertwined, and they quickly became two of the most challenging objectives on the renegotiation agenda. Um, I won't go too far into the details of the renegotiation here. Um, what I will say is that the Wilson government failed to achieve any fundamental changes to the operation of the common agricultural policy. Instead, it was agreed that the European institutions would review the policy in the future and put forward proposals for further changes. However, concessions were won on particular commodities. One of Wilson's victories was to secure an 18% increase in the prices paid to New Zealand dairy farmers for their products and continued arrangements for preferential access for those commodities, specifically butter, after 1977. Uh, at their November summit meeting, Wilson had pressed the German Chancellor Helmut Schmidt for concessions on this issue. He argued that British housewives didn't understand why they could not go on buying New Zealand butter and that it would help for him to be able to say that Britain would be able to go on buying food from abroad when it was cheaper to do so. On the, on the question of beef, Fred Pert negotiated lower, more reasonable prices and a system of deficiency payments from the community to support, to make up the returns to producers. Unfortunately, he was unable to secure a similar guarantee from the community about future supplies of bacon, which had increased in price following the introduction of community prices. The final reason why food prices, I, I think, became so central to the referendum campaigns um, is the general domestic climate of the mid-1970s more broadly. Food prices and the cost of living weren't just key issues in relation to Europe, but key issues more generally. The economic downturn following the Yom Kippur War and the oil crisis of 1973, inflation and the weakened position of sterling that resulted had pushed up the cost of living for the average British person. Domestic political instability and industrial action had resulted in just in three general elections in just five years. Overall, um, the atmosphere was one of crisis. Um, and I think in this context, it seems reasonable that voters would focus on issues that were more, most likely to affect their daily lives, rather than the more abstract issues of parliamentary sovereignty or the very complex nature of the corrective mechanism that had been secured to address Britain's contributions to the community budget. Um, indeed, of the issues that most concerned the public, research undertaken by the Wilson government reveals that food prices were at the top of the list consistently. Um, between April and June, the Cabinet Office operated a referendum information unit that provided information to members of the public that had questions about the community. Um, but this same unit also collected information about the campaigns, the issues they were covering, um, and the issues that seemed most concerning to the British people. Um, one of, initially, the unit's research suggested that one of the strongest lines of criticism against maintaining membership was that the Wilson government hadn't done enough to address questions of parliamentary sovereignty. Um, however, when opinion trends demonstrated that sovereignty was not a topic with, with which the public had much sustained interest, it was a welcome relief. 
I think it can be it can be quite difficult to recapture the sense of kind of crisis and impending doom that surrounded the debate. The same newspapers in which people read about the referendum also delivered news about the fall of Saigon and the defeat of American forces in Vietnam. Throughout the referendum, the Sun ran the strapline "Crisis Britain" above its news reports. It was only a year since the three-day week, and in 1974. Britain had seen the biggest stock market crash since 1929. Tony Benn wrote in his diary in December 1974 that the final collapse of capitalism might be a mere week away. The Foreign Secretary, James Callaghan, told the Cabinet that every morning when he shaved, he thought he should emigrate, but by the time he had eaten breakfast, he realized there was nowhere else to go. In this context, it seems reasonable that um, questions of, of food prices and security of supply weighed quite heavily in the referendum. So the campaigns fell um, broadly under two umbrella organizations, the National Referendum Campaign and the Britain and Europe Campaign, um, camp advocating votes to leave and stay in the community, respectively. Campaign materials from the no side uh, focused on a few different areas. Primarily, they targeted specifically at the British housewife and emphasized the higher cost of food inside the community. Um, for, so this is a good example here um, of Barbara Castle participating in a campaign event where an average weekly shopping basket from London was compared with the same cost or with the same basket um, purchased in Brussels. The, uh, the image on, on my first slide um, which you can see here is a campaign event done by Britain in Europe to sort of counteract this, um, this national referendum campaign event where they said as much as the cost in Oslo might be higher than it is in London, you know, at least if we're in the community, we'll be able to buy food. Your shopping basket will be full. Um, it, no campaigners also ridiculed the community's policy of buying and stockpiling food to guarantee returns to community producers. Um, they argued that this had resulted in beef mountains and wine lakes. In the parliamentary debates, opponents of membership argued that the community had moved into a surrealist phase with the accumulation of such surpluses. Um, even the Communist Party became involved in the campaigning and argued and ridiculed a policy that it argued encouraged the production of surpluses without um, the, the sort of necessary markets to sell them to. Uh, no campaigners also criticized the community's decision um, to deal with some of those surpluses. One of the methods that was decided in April 1973 was to sell surpluses of cheap butter to the Soviet Union. Um, at the time, there were about 200,000 tons of butter being stored by the intervention agencies within the community. Um, it, the price that was chosen for selling the butter was significantly reduced compared to what that same commodity cost within the community. In the parliamentary debates about the agreement, Peter Shore, um, who had become a prominent no campaigner, argued that it was a singular example of the total lunacy of the common agricultural policy in continuing to generate these enormous stocks of butter and disposing of them. The de this decision was then used in the referendum campaigns to demonstrate the poor functioning of community policies and also appeared to, vo to voters' loyalties in the Cold War, another prominent feature of the campaigns. The clear message was that Europe was willing to sell cheaply to the Soviet Union rather than to the community housewife. 
No campaigners also used the highly emotive language of a food tax. The National Referendum Campaign's official pamphlet stated that if you vote yes, your food must cost you more. Not merely do common market authorities tax food imports or shut them out, they buy up home-produced food purely to keep the prices up. Finally, no campaigners argued that outside the community, Britain would have considerably more control over decisions to import cheap food. Um, there was some evidence to suggest that by 1975, food prices outside the community, especially for um, important commodities like grain, were falling, but that Britain was not able to take advantage of this situation. Campaign materials from the yes side um, highlighted similar arguments, but instead focused on food security. Questions about food were important for a generation that could remember post-war rationing. Voters were encouraged to think of the community as the common supermarket, with well-stocked shelves, plenty of choice, and just around the corner. Margaret Thatcher, in her glorious Flags of Europe jumper, which you can see here, um, warned, that warned of food shortages if Britain voted to leave the EEC and insisted that most housewives would rather pay a little more rather than risk a bare cupboard. The emotive language of going hungry was also employed, with Britain in Europe's pamphlet warning that Britain as a country which cannot feed itself alone will be safer in the community which is almost self-sufficient in food. A vote to leave might mean standing at the end of a world food queue. Yes, campaigners were um, keen to make the argument that high prices were the result of global conditions rather than Britain's entry to the community. The Wilson government um, and supporters of Britain's continued membership took great care to argue uh, that the general economic climate is what had pushed up food prices and made comparisons um, and attempted to demonstrate that comparisons to cheaper commodities in other countries um, weren't necessarily fair and that in fact those countries perhaps hadn't caught up to the crisis that Europe and Britain were experiencing. This is also something that the Heath government was very sensitive to um, in the, in the, specifically in Britain's first year of entry to the community. Um, Heath warned his cabinet that the presentation of the community to the public was incredibly important in this first year um, because there were fears that the British public would, um, would entangle high food prices with entry to the community rather than see them as two separate issues. The government also attempted to popularize its better deal on imports of Commonwealth sugar and New Zealand dairy products. The government's pamphlet didn't go into details about the renegotiation. Instead, it pointed out that the common agricultural policy would work more flexibly and to the benefit of housewives and farmers, um, and that Commonwealth sugar and New Zealand dairy products would continue to be on sale in our shops. More generally, uh, yes, campaigners highlighted that the Commonwealth, specifically the, the old Commonwealth, wanted Britain to stay in the community and offered um, quotes from the Canadian, New Zealand, and Australian prime ministers supporting Britain's continued membership. Finally, the Wilson government argued that reform of the common agricultural policy was an ongoing process, one that Britain could only be effectively a part of if it was a member of the community. So. It, I think it's 
important to sort of look at the referendum campaigns um, and think about which of these arguments were most convincing to the British public. Uh, obviously, food prices weren't the only issue discussed. Um, there, there is some opinion polling data from the period that shows the extent to which the public engaged with the campaigns and with particular issues. Um, and I, I plan to draw on some of that now. Um, so those who have analyzed the campaigns suggest that personalities were sort of the dominant feature. Simply put, um, and I think quite well illustrated by this cartoon, voters preferred to vote along the lines of moderate politicians like Roy Jenkins, Ted Heath, and Harold Wilson, rather than follow the uneasy alliance between the likes of Tony Benn, Enoch Powell, the Communist Party, the IRA, etc. Um, another prominent argument is that the 1975 referendum is simply one um, in a series of many referendums in which voters um, display risk-averse behavior. Um, so, uh, two of the sort of key analysts of the referendum argue that the vote was simply an unenthusiastic one, um, one for maintaining the status quo. The wider context of the 1970s does sort of lend some credence to this um, and to the notion that voters would opt for the less risky option of staying in the community rather than the uncertainty of the alternatives. I think both these arguments um, ignore the extent to which voters engage with issues in a campaign. Um, and I think there is some good evidence to suggest that voters cared about at least some of the issues being discussed in the period. One post-referendum survey found, um, looked at whether or not food prices were important to voters and found that just under half of its respondents felt that being in the common market made no difference to food prices, suggesting that the arguments made by the Yes campaign had successfully decoupled rising food prices from the introduction of community regulations. V views on food prices also appear to be a good indicator of the direction in which people voted. So just over three quarters of people who voted no felt that being in the common market would make it more difficult to control prices. Just over half people that voted yes felt that the common market made no difference, and just under a quarter of the same voters felt that it, being in the common market would make it easier to control food prices. When you compare this to other issues, um, there isn't as clear of a relationship that emerges. Um, when, you, when you look at the renegotiation as a whole, as it was discussed as an issue in the campaigns, about half of voters who said yes, who voted yes, argued that the terms made no difference to their decision, while 86% of no voters reported the same outcome. So I think there, there's some evidence to suggest that food prices uh, certainly played an, an important role in the outcome in 1975. Um, I'd like to make kind of some further suggestions about um, what the 1970s debate about food prices may reveal about how agriculture is debated in this country more generally. Um, so the, the first idea that I would put forward is that it seems interesting that food prices are targeted as, as a feminist issue, as a woman's issue, and that in the 1970s, campaigns about food prices were often aimed at the housewife as the, the sort of manager of the household budget or the person responsible for stocking the cupboard. No similar campaign materials are found um, that talk about the rising cost of living 
and rising prices as an important issue for men. If sort of women are seen as, as the, the housewife, um, why is this not an important issue for men as the providers, given that their wages are being spent on such, such costly food? Um, the second point I would make is that campaigners on both sides of the argument in 1975 called upon sort of lessons of history in their appeals to recent memories of food rationing during the Second World War um, and in their use of language from the hungry 40s about the dangers of protectionism. Even a, a brief look at these three moments, the 1970s, the Second World War, and the 1840s, uh, reveal some consistencies in the way that food prices are discussed. So in the 1970s, the government highlighted its efforts to safeguard cheap, suppl cheap supplies of sugar and butter, two of the three foods that were first rationed in January 1940 before successive commodities were also subjected to food rationing. The 1975 campaigns used images of plentiful food to criticize protecting domestic producers uh, with, with images of kind of stockpiling. Um, they sought to ridicule the policy of protecting domestic producers and not offering um, lower prices and potentially better options to people buying food. Um, on the other side of the argument, supermarket chains like Sainsbury's and Marks and Spencer's published articles in their customer magazines that showed the quantity of goods that could be sourced from the continent. Tesco even printed carrier bags, um, urging shoppers to say yes to Europe. Um, if we look back at the 1840s, Victorian publications like Punch uh, protested against the Corn Laws with depictions of a famished lion protesting against import tariffs on grain. And after 1846, images of plentiful foods celebrated the repeal of the Corn Laws. Um, so the, the debate over the cost of food, I think, is just one example of many issues from the referendum that boiled down to a question of legitimacy and where the power to make decisions should lie. Uh, the contemporary debates going on in the period about devolution, Scottish, Welsh, and Irish nationalism, sovereignty and food prices, and even about whether it was constitutional to have a referendum, all touched on kind of a larger debate going on about how best to govern Britain. Um, on the question of food prices, the campaign materials clearly ask voters to weigh food security in the community against the possibility of access to cheaper markets. Ultimately, I would argue this boils down to a question of where the authority to set food, price, food prices should lie, in the British Parliament or with the British government in partnership with the community. Thank you. <laughs>